Would you join me in taking a Bible and let's turn together to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 15. But we're looking for Exodus chapter 15. So glad to see you today and glad to spend this time together. I'm a forgetful person. You probably are as well. These times that we gather are, you know, as we, we, we get to rejoice, we get to celebrate, we get to remember too because we are prone to forget. And it's, it's unthinkable really that we could forget what has so graciously and richly been done for us. But as we'll see this morning, we are forgetful. God knows that. He's kind. He provides. And he's patient. And he helps us. And we're going to see some of that this morning. Exodus chapter 15. I want to begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 21. So it's a long reading this morning. I hope you'll bear with me. Follow along. Exodus 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. All of the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them On your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. 
Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, over these next few minutes, we ask for the Spirit's help that we might better understand the place of singing, to understand why your people sing. Holy Spirit, we tend to forget so much. So please help us today. Revive us today. Refresh our hearts as we are in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you sometimes sing in the car when you're alone? Let, let me just ask you quick quick you you don't have to if you don't want to but how many of you have found yourself at one time or another singing in the car by yourself slip up your hand I knew it I knew it in the 9 a.m service vast majority I I was I was pleasantly surprised because because I do I mean I I sing in the car let me ask you this have you ever been caught (laughs) you ever been caught you know you pull up the light and you're just singing enthusiastically and you have to look over and they're staring at you going like or, you know, there's times you, know, you look, you point ahead and say, what are, the, what are those people doing up there? Because they're just singing really, you know. It happened to a man in Canada, 38-year-old father. He was driving to work, and he had his radio on, and he was listening. You know, this somewhat oldies, I guess you might call this an oldie. It was, uh, uh, I think the group's called C Plus C Music Factory, uh, the song Everybody Dance Now, back in 1990, okay? <clears throat> Try this in in the 9 a.m., I don't know, because it's, it's a little difficult to sing, you know, but, but you know, it's, you know, it's, everybody dance now, bump, 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 you know, it, trust me, trust me, if you heard it, you, it's easy to get into, you know, got a good beat, um, nah, I don't know the rest, of that. that's all, that's the only part I know, but anyway, um, he was listening to it, getting into it, singing it enthusiastically, he looks in his rearview mirror, and yes, the police had the lights on. He pulls over, serious, he pulls over, and it's not one car, it's two cars. Two policemen on one side of the car, two policemen on the other, you know? And he, he's wondering, like, what in the world did I do? And they asked him, they said, they wanted to search his car. They asked him this, they said, were you screaming? <laughs> and he said, no, I was singing, I was singing. Do you know they gave him, they said he had broken an ordinance of excessive noise. They gave him a ticket for $118. And his response was this, how do you not sing to this song? (laughs) He had a good point. How do you not sing? Sometimes, sometimes you've just got to sing. And such was the case for the Israelites recorded in Exodus chapter 15. We have been working our way through the book of Exodus. And the last time that we were together, we read through chapter 14, and that was the crossing of the Red Sea, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, glorious victory. But I just want to remind you something. You do know that the story of Exodus actually begins in the book of Genesis, right? Remember, God called a man named Abraham. And he promised Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now remember, for those of you who do know, you know that 
wow, crazy promise. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are well beyond their childbearing age, and they do not have a child. But we find that in spite of that, God gave them a son. They were able to bear a son, and they named him Isaac. And Isaac grew up, and he found this beautiful lady named Rebekah. And they married, and they began to have children, and their children had children. And what is that called? It's multiplying, right? Remember, it started out with a promise. God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Oh, man, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And God did. And this multiplicity of God's promised people became slaves in the country of Egypt. And they cried out. In the book of Exodus, we we read right at the beginning, they cried out to God for deliverance. And God had mercy upon them, and he delivered them. And you remember Pharaoh, finally, finally, after these plagues were poured out, Pharaoh finally let the people of Israel go. And as they were moving on toward freedom, Pharaoh changed his mind. And he and his armies came after the Israelites. And you'll remember that the Israelites were caught between this unconquerable army and this impassable sea. And last time we looked at this, what did we find? God made a way where there seemed to be no way. There was something interesting that Moses said to the Israelites as the Egyptians were coming after them. And they were caught in this really, really tough place. Moses said this to them in chapter 14. It is And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Listen, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. That must have been unthinkable. I mean, there's this army, these these unique elite chariots that are coming after them. And this this threat is upon them. And it doesn't seem like they're going to get out of this. And Moses said, you see these Egyptians? You see them? You will not see them again. Now, it's really almost impossible for us to put ourselves in that place. But just imagine with me that you have this horrible, inescapable threat that is bearing upon your mind and your soul. And some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you sitting here right now, and you've got something that's bothering you so bad. You're, you're wondering, you know, what is, the, what is the test going to reveal? What, what is this conf, confrontation? What is this conversation going to lead to? What, what's going to happen? And it feels like it's just hanging right over you. And you think to yourself, boy, if this threat would just go away, if, if this would just disappear, if this would just be lifted off of me, I would sing, maybe. If, if, this, if this threat was lifted off of me, I'd feel like dancing. If, if this threat was just all of a sudden gone through, through no work of my own, I'd feel like singing to the top of my voice. But it's there. But let's say through no power of yours, the threat is lifted. Now, somehow or another, what was weighing so heavy upon you suddenly is gone. What would you do? Would you sing? That's exactly what the Israelites did. When the threat was lifted, when the victory came, their first instinct was to sing. 
Here's what I want to dwell on for just a few minutes this morning. Why, why do God's people sing? Why do God's people sing? First answer I want to propose to you is we are responding to a great victory. When God's people sing, it is a response to a great victory. How many of you today are going to watch football? Anybody going to watch football? Throw up your hand. A little less than what I thought. Yeah, first service there was one. And she's about 70 years old. Couldn't believe it. So some of you are going to watch football today. What are you going to hear right before the game? What are you going to hear? Uh, could it be the national anthem? Star Spangled Banner? Yes, right? Uh, it was a poem. Francis Scott Key wrote what has become the Star Spangled Banner. It began as a poem. Uh, as the British were bombarding Fort Henry during the War of 1812, Scott Key was inspired. He, he, he was looking across and he saw Fort McHenry being, being bombarded and he watched all night until the next morning what was still standing. The American flag was still standing. So he wrote a poem. Years later, that poem was put to music and we hear the first verse of it before sporting events. I just thought maybe now would be a good time. I'm going somewhere with this, but right now would be a good time to just ask you, have you ever paid any attention to the fourth verse? You see, today, before the games, there's going to be the, the, the singing of the national anthem, the, the Star Spangled Banner. You're going to hear the first verse. And I just wondered <laughs> if they slipped in the fourth verse instead of the first verse, what would people do? So you're now you're going, what is the fourth verse? Well, I have it for you. Here it is. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power, notice that, praise the power that hath made and preserved us as a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. What would people do? What would secular United States do if verse 4 was sung and played instead of verse 1? They would probably say, we're not singing this song anymore. <laughs> we're getting rid of it. It's, so, it's kind of funny to me. There's, you know, they would not think about not singing this song, the first verse. But once they get wind... Verse 4, they're going to probably go, oh, we're not singing this song anymore. But you know why we have that song? You know why? Because it is a response to a great victory. Great victories call for great songs. Great victories call for singing. Why do God's people sing? Um, my first recollection of church I couldn't have been more than five years of age. And I still have this snapshot in my mind. We were in a church building. I was standing next to my mother. She was standing. There were some people in a choir area. They were singing. The entire congregation was singing. I couldn't have been more than five years old. And I remember hearing them. I remember hearing my mother. She had a most beautiful alto voice. And I stood there trying to find a part to sing, you know, I just instinctively was like trying to find a part to fit in. And it was probably then, you know, that, that God was so kind and given me a gift to sing harmony. And, and I think back about that. 
the church was singing, and I've wondered every since then, every church service on a Sunday morning I've been to, God's people sing. Why is that? Ever wondered about that? Why, why, why is it, why can't we just come and say hello and shake hands and maybe have a five-minute sermon and then go home? You know, why, why can't we just do that? We're not going to do that, by the way, okay? But why do we sing? Why is singing a part of our worship? Well, we can answer that by asking another question. Why were the Israelites singing here in chapter 15 of the book of Exodus? Let me give you some answers. They, first, they are responding to a great victory. Salvation, God's salvation had put a song in their heart. It was instinctive. After what God had done for them, the instinct was to respond in praise to him. How do we know this? Well, we know it from chapter 15, but the psalmist in Psalm 106 comments on this, and notice what he said. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through the deepest, through a desert. Notice, so he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. I'm just going to ask you, in light of what we're reading here, would you expect the Israelites to be standing after this great victory? Would you be expecting them to stand there going? But you see, in churches across America, that's often the response. Now, I'm not getting on anybody. Don't misunderstand. You know? We'll get to something else in a minute that might help. But look, the instinct... Of these people who, what, he saved them, he redeemed them, their response was, sing praise to this glorious God. God's salvation always demands a response of praise. It's not just singing, okay? It's not, praise doesn't just come in the form of singing, but it's certainly a form. I mean, what does the Bible tell us? When God created the world, the morning stars sang together. When Israel defeated Jabin and Sisera, Deborah and Barak sang for joy. David sang when he, delivered, when he was delivered from his enemies. All throughout the scriptures, you have people singing in response to God's great victory for them. Perhaps my favorite is found in Revelation chapter 15. You'll see this. Let's look at it for just a moment. John is looking and having a vision into heaven. And here's what he said. And I saw what happened, or appeared, I should say. I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now see, for those of you who kind of look at the Bible like just an assortment of, you know, you got this over here and this over here and this over here, this ought to, this ought to cause some antennas to go up. I mean, you've got, you've got a reading in Exodus chapter 15. Now we get all the way to the book of Revelation. And what do we see? A sea. A sea. The saints of God are, are standing on a sea of glass. Now that ought to raise some antennas and go, huh, what, what does that mean? And then you have a beast. It says it conquered the beast. 
This is the enemy of the people of God. What do we have in the book of Exodus? We've got the Pharaoh, who is an enemy of the people of God. Do you see these similarities? And then we find that these people who are appearing by sea have conquered the beast. They have been, what, victorious over the beast. But now listen, be careful here. Notice what they're singing. They're not, they're not singing this. We have been victorious over the beast. We're great people. We're so wonderful. We're so strong. We're so powerful. They're not singing about themselves. No, it's because of their enduring trust in Jesus the Lamb that they participate in the Lamb's victory. That's why it says that they conquered. It wasn't because of anything they did. They remained faithful and trusted the Lamb of God. So what should we see here? We should see here that the Red Sea victory that we read about in Exodus chapter 15 is pointing to an even greater victory. I mean, we should see that clearly in the book of Revelation. There, there's, something, there's something that the Red Sea was pointing to. There's something that this celebration and singing was pointing to. What was it? Luke chapter 9. Now let me set this up. Luke chapter 9 gives us the story of the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus has been transfigured. He's standing upon a mountain gloriously shining. And as the disciples are looking, they see not just Jesus, but Moses and Elijah. Notice what happened. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were talking to Jesus, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. I have, I have a little word beside that. You know why? Because the original language there is the word exodus. It's the same word that is used in the book of Exodus of God delivering his people from their Egyptian slavery. So what does this mean here? What is, this is really big. They are talking with Jesus about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit would choose that word? What is that, what is that telling us? It is telling us that they are having a conversation about Jesus, that through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, he will be leading an exodus for those who are trapped in their exodus of sin. Those like me and you who are enslaved by our passions and our desires. Jesus would accomplish our exodus. Do you see that? You see, this will be the great victory that you and I must respond to in song. This is the great victory that we sing about today when we sing a song like Jesus paid it all or in Christ alone. We're singing about the great victory that Jesus has wrought for people like me and for you. And great victories require a response of praise. Secondly, why do God's people sing? Well, secondly, we are responding to a command from our Lord. Bob Coughlin, I would say, is probably an expert when it comes to Christian singing. He said this, 
All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. But you see one of them, Psalm 47 and 6. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. See the exclamation mark? It, it doesn't read like this. It doesn't sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. It doesn't read like that. It doesn't read like that. It reads, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. It is a command. And I know you and I know me. We don't like anybody telling us what to do, do we? I'll sing if I want to. I remember Catherine and I went, was attending a church back in the 80s. I won't tell you where, but the song director, he'd get up and he'd, he'd sing us to death, man. I wanted to beat him to death. I did. It was, it was like, it was like he was, I'm going to make you all sing and we're going to sing. If it takes 30 minutes to get you to sing, if it takes 40, I'm going to get you. Finally, you just surrender, whatever I'll sing. All right, just let me sit down. You know, we don't like, let's face it. We don't like being commanded to, to do anything for that matter. But I just want to, I want you to know one of the reasons why God's people sing is because we're responding to a command. And that sounds a little odd, I know, I know, because you're probably thinking, why in the world would God, you know, that just don't sound right, sing to me, (laughs) sing to me, doesn't sound right, does it? Well, think about it this way, many of you are parents, and uh, your, uh, your child at some time or another has received a generous gift, maybe it was you know, maybe it was an envelope with some money in it. Maybe it was a birthday present, whatever. Uh, most of the time, now most of the time, your kids don't do the following. Most of the times, they don't, they don't go, thank you, sir. I appreciate that gift. That was very generous of you. Thank you. <laughs> most of the time, they don't do that, do they? Most of the time, unless they, they do it if they've been trained, but most of the time, what do they do? What do you have to do? You say, say thank you. Say thank you. Write a card. Get on the phone. If you're a good parent, you will follow up on this. When your kids get gifts, you you will say, now you need to call them or you need to send a note. You need to thank them. Why why is that so important? It's because according to Romans chapter 1, one of the big gaping holes in our lives is we are not thankful people, especially to God. We don't thank him as we should, you see. We need to be redeemed from that. We need to be taught. We need to be trained. We need to be commanded by a loving parent that will say, you need to say thank you. That will help us. It'll help your kids. It'll help your grandkids. And it will help the people of God to be commanded. You see, think about who is commanding us. Just think about dwelling that for a moment. If you have problems going, I just don't know if I like this commandment stuff. Think about who's commanding you to sing. The Lord who redeemed you. Now, see, if you have a, if you've laid the bar way down here and salvation is kind of like, yeah, yeah, well, that's great. You don't have a clue. <laughs> if, if salvation means so little to you, if, if you've never seen and even tasted the depth of your sin that you've been rescued from, then you probably won't get too excited. You might not even sing. You might never say thank you. But Just so you'll know, the Lord who is commanding this is the one who has redeemed you. And his redemption always demands a response. And his redemption demonstrates that he wants your good. 
He's out for your good. He really is. Even when he commands you and I to sing, he is out for our good because our singing of praise unto him will help us. Now, let me pause here for a moment because inevitably, I should say, someone will, will, will say this. But, Pastor, what if I don't feel like singing? I've been leading singing here for uh, almost 25 years. Honest confession, I haven't always felt like singing, okay? I haven't always felt like singing. But it, it'd be real difficult for me to walk in on a Sunday morning and just get up here and go, that's it, I don't feel like singing, sit down. <laughs> you know, now, you might say, oh, you just grit your teeth and bear it and you go right on through, don't you? What if, we don't, what, if, what if we don't feel like saying? What if our circumstances are so difficult at the time that we really don't? Like this morning when we got started, and I, and I, I try to be sensitive to this, but you know, it's a difficult balance, but I try to be sensitive to the fact, you know, that we, we start off this morning, I encourage you to clap your hands. Now, why would I do that? Because, you know, that is scriptural. You know? But it's inevitable somebody might be sitting there going, I don't feel like clapping my hands. Don't tell me to clap my hands. Don't, don't do that. I don't feel like it. You don't know what I'm going through right now. now. I understand what you're saying because I have been there before. So what, what do we do? Well, I, f- I find this helpful, okay? I'll just, I'm going to just walk through a, few, through a few things. Remember, when Jesus and his disciples left the upper room, they were having their last meal together. They leave, and they're on their way where? To the Garden of Gethsemane. It's going to be extremely difficult for Jesus at the garden. The disciples are going to fall asleep. They're going to leave him alone. He's going to agonize, deep depression. But what did he do on the way to the garden? He sang. You can look it up. He he and the disciples sang a hymn together. We don't know what it was. But on, on on the way to a very difficult circumstance, he sang. Paul and Silas, they were in prison. They were in chains. It was about midnight, and the scriptures tell us that they were singing. It's pretty difficult circumstances, don't you think? Then you'll see a picture here. I don't know who these brothers are, but these are, this is a picture of persecuted Christians singing in Pakistan. Now, notice that you look close. Not everybody's singing, but these brothers up front with the guitars, they're singing. And, and friends, this is, not, this is not Mount Washington. <laughs> this is Pakistan, predominantly Muslim country. And they are visible out front singing praises unto Jesus Christ, the Lord. And I look at that picture and I think, that's pretty difficult circumstances to be under to do that. Then I read, and you'll see this on the overhead. This is a, this is a pastor who was imprisoned for his faith in Christ in another country. He said, when we were in prison, we sang almost every day because Christ was alive in us. They put chains on our hands and feet. They chained us. To, they, they chained us to add to our grief, yet we discovered that our chains are splendid musical instruments. Watch this. When we clang them together in rhythm, we could sing, this is the day, clink, clank. This is the day, clink, clank. With the Lord has made, clink, clank. Which the Lord has made, clink, clank. Pretty difficult circumstances, you think? Probably so. Notice in that, I like to pick this apart. Did you notice in the first sentence, when we were in prison, we sang almost every day because. Why? Is it, is it because, well, we sang every day because we're obligated to do it. You know, we're going to show up, and I know they're inevitably going to ask us to stand, and we're going to have to sing. Was that because? Was that, was that? Or, or was it we, we sang because our circumstances suddenly got so much better? <laughs> no. 
They sang what? Because Christ was alive in them. And friends, that's true of you if you're a believer. That is true of me if I'm a believer. Christ is alive in me. Notice what it says next. It said, yet we discovered. I want to suggest to you that as we answer the command of our Lord, we might discover some things that we wouldn't otherwise have discovered. For example, this morning we sang a song entitled, I Will Sing. In the chorus, you'll remember this in a moment, we sang, I will sing, and then at the end of the chorus, it says, because your word is true. We didn't sing, I will sing because my circumstances have gotten better. I will sing because all the darkness has gone away and it's all light now. No, I said, I will sing, I will praise, even in my darkest hour through the sorrow and the pain. I will sing, I will praise, and lift my hands to honor you. Why? Because, because your word is true, because Christ is alive in us. Say, what should we do when we don't feel like singing? Do not just grit your teeth and just say, well, I'll just grit my teeth and push on through. No. No. Ask God for faith and mercy to feel what is appropriate in light of who God is and what he has done for you in Christ. That's what we forget. We feel, we feel the circumstances. So I don't feel like singing, and I understand that. And so this is medicine for me to pray and to ask God for the faith and mercy to feel what is appropriate in light of what God has done for me in Christ. And that's why it's good for me to sing songs because they remind me of what God has done for me in Christ, which brings me to one final short brief point. Why do God's people sing? It's because singing is an aid for teaching and remembering. In our text, in Exodus chapter 15, the very first word, what is the very first word? What does it say? Then, then. Now, why is that important? Chapter 14 records the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites crossing over on dry land and the Egyptians being destroyed and seen no more. Chapter 15 begins with then. Here's what they did not do. The Israelites and Moses, they didn't say, well, that was pretty cool. Uh, Let's all meet here in about a month and we'll have a singing. (laughs) Then, then. Now, why is that important? You see, they did it then rather than later because they would respond before time and the deceitfulness of heart erased the good impressions that have been made upon them. Friends, I tell you what, we, we do not believe this enough. We are incredibly forgetful. The good impressions that the Spirit of God makes upon us, we often put off to later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do this later. But notice, they responded then while the good impressions of what God had done for them, while it was still fresh upon their hearts, they broke out in song and praise unto God. How many times have you thought, if God answers this prayer, I'm going to be so happy. I, you won't be able to keep me down. <laughs> if God answers, if God does this for me, I tell you what, it'll be hard to keep my feet on the ground. If God does this for me, I'll never quit thanking him. How many times have you found yourself a few weeks down the road 
God answered that prayer. He did above and beyond what you ask. And suddenly it dawns upon you. I don't think I thank God for that. See, on this side of it, we said, oh, I'll never stop thanking God. I'll be so happy. I'll sing. I'll tell everybody. Friends, we are so forgetful. The deceitfulness of our hearts often erases the good impressions that have been made. And so God himself, God himself uses music, singing, to remind us of his word. Let me read you something, and we'll try to bring this to a close. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, here is what God says. Listen very closely. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swear to give them. Do you hear what's happening there? God is saying, you're going you're gonna, to... You're gonna, You're going to enjoy my blessings. You're going to enjoy my generosity. You're going to enjoy my kindness. And you're going to forget about me. You're going to forget about me. You're going to turn to other gods. So right now, I want you to learn a song. I want you to learn it now. And I want you to to get it in your heart. And I want you to teach it to your children. And then when all, all these troubles begin to fall upon you because you've drinking from broken cisterns, that song is going to speak to your heart. It's going to challenge you. It's going to convict you. Hopefully that you will repent and return unto your first love. Oh, yeah. Singing is an aid that God gives us forgetful people to remember the most important things that we should never forget. Secondly, and I'm I'm done. Colossians chapter 3, you'll see this first. Singing is an aid for teaching. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I know people who do their devotions during the day. They will have in their hand, one, a Bible, number two, a hymn book. They will read scripture and let God speak to them. They will respond in prayer back to God and then they will open the hymn book. And they might sing the hymn or just read it. And I'm not talking about these happy, clappy type of things. I'm talking about the rich hymns of the church that have deep theology that teach us good theology about God. Singing, singing is an aid that God has generously given to us to help us to remember and to teach us. Brothers and sisters, singing Christian songs cannot save you. I know a lot of unbelievers, oh man, they, they, sing, they sing amazing grace in the drop of a hat. They don't know what it means. They don't know what it means, but they'll sing it. That's, oh, we've got to sing that one. We've got to sing amazing grace. Got to have that one at mama's funeral. Got to have that one. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? One person sings amazing grace. Another person sings amazing grace. What makes the difference? In our text, 
it said this. Moses is singing, the Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. What makes the difference? One can sing amazing grace, singing a Christian song and know nothing of its origin and its meaning. Someone else can sing amazing grace because they're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And they're able to say, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Father. There's a difference, friend. Can you sing like that? Can you, can you sing like that knowing that he is your heavenly Father? Knowing that Christ is your Lord, your Savior? Friends, you can't fake this. You can't fake it. It's my prayer today that you will know him. You'll be able to say like Moses, he's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior.